0: we can survive past the story that we had survived, that we can redirect, we can rewrite it. We can one day, if we choose so bravely, say this is, this happened to me, but it is not my identity, Hmm. that um, my power, they lied to me and told me I didn't have power, but I found my
1: power. You're listening to Chemical Voices a podcast exploring the lives of BIPOC, transracial adoptees, and survivors of complex trauma. Hi, I'm Jaslyn, your host, a nurse, and trauma-release practitioner, curiously observing the human experience. As a Black woman and survivor of human trafficking, I've encountered many, many hardships. On the road to recovery, I discovered that storytelling unites us at heart and it's where we find healing, inspiration, and encouragement. In each episode, you will hear stories from courageous souls and we will touch on subjects such as identity confusion, the impacts of racism, complex trauma, transracial adoption, and much more. How do we rise amid trials and tribulations? How do we invite softness into our lives? We touch on these and many other questions, so tune in to experience transformative storytelling and let's heal together.
0: So the first person I end up telling was my younger sister. Um, I confided in her and say, listen, this is what's happening. This is what has happened to me. And she broke down. I was not expecting that. You know, she's four years younger than me, and she broke down just in in tears um, because she had experienced violence from him. But I didn't think in her mind she was like, "Wait, what? What he has been doing to you?" And I was like, "Yeah, he's been doing it to me, and he's been doing it to um, our stepsister as well." Um, she's like, "You have to tell mom." She was the one who encouraged me, like, "You have to tell mom. You have to tell someone. We have to. We have to tell someone." So she encouraging me. A day later, I was driving, um, I was going to the laundry with my mom and she was going to go to the store to buy some laundry detergent and fabric softener. And I decided to get on the road with her. And that's when I told her, I said, listen, this, you know, he has been raping me. And since I was six and I've watched him rape my stepsister and I can feel her whole body. My mom's demeanor changed her whole eyes, but it was she did something that she's never done before in her life where she reached out and held my hands. And in my mind, that's what I needed. That's what I wanted. That's when I cried. I didn't cry because I was telling her the trauma. I was, I was crying because I, for the first time, I felt seen
1: hmm. and I
0: felt a warm embrace. And I think that's what I needed all along. That's why yeah. I never came open up to tell her. Yeah. I never got that from her. So once she did that and she she started crying and started shaking, She's like, are you sure this happened? Are you sure? She kept on reassuring, just like this is not a joke. You don't, I know you don't, I know you hate him, but don't joke around things like this. And I said, Mommy, I would never joke around about this. He's this is what he's done to me. Yeah. And I started telling her, you remember this? You remember when you saw my panties, you remember? It? And I'm telling her all of these incidents. And it clicked on it, clicked to her.
1: Yeah. And
0: so we didn't even, she didn't even go to the stores. We didn't get inside the store. She just, um, I remember her pulling out back in and said, we need to go back home. And as soon as she got back home to the house, she said, we're going to act normal. Don't act like nothing ever happened. She was like, I have to call your uncles first. I need family here first before I confront him. Mm-hmm. So get to the house. She's now calling everyone. They're, they live about an hour and 45 minutes away. They can't come because they're at work and they're all shocked. Like, what are you telling me over the phone? You're saying, what, how did you know about this? So I can hear my uncle's just in complete disarray. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, So my mom is coordinating times with my family members, trying to get them to come to the house, I guess, as support so that they can confront him um, before she could even get a chance to do so. He then comes home and he was always good at picking up the family, like our body languages. Yeah. It was, either we were terrified or either we were like dissociative, like in our own world, like not, the house is really quiet. It was a house, it was either a lot of anger and chaos going on or everybody's off into their own world, dissociative, trying to just survive. And once he noticed, I guess he noticed the ambience was different because at the time it was me, my two younger siblings and my mom and my mom is just waiting for people to just come in so that she can confront him. Um, he then says to my mom after like, no, he goes and tries to speak to me. It's like, hey, uh, is everyone okay? And I'm, I'm, I just shrug my shoulder. I don't know uh, why, why you say that, huh? And then he goes to my two younger siblings. What's going on with you guys? Why, why are you guys so quiet? It's sunny outside. Why don't you guys go play outside? And they said, no, we don't want to nobody's making eye contact with him. My mom is in her room. She's by the. she has a phone by her, the cordless phone. And she's on the ground. Like she's acting like she's just laying down. He's like, what are you, what's wrong with you? And she's like, oh no, I'm just, you know, laying down, taking a break before I go do laundry later on. And I could hear her voice. She's irritated and she's just very anxious. And she, but she's trying to disguise it as if she's calm, cool and collected. And he then, huh? and just starts kissing his teeth and walking real slowly and put his hand in his pocket and after like hour goes by it starts the silence starts irritating him and then he hears the phone rings and then my mom goes and my mom's in the room she closed the door that's something that she never does and so he's he's now picks up like something is really happening yeah. so he opens the door and tells my mom he's like hey if one of the kids told you I did something I think we need to talk about it and she was on the phone and she put the phone down she was like well what do you mean what that's just like that came out of nowhere what, what what did you do to the kids why would you think the kids would come and tell me something what did the kids what did one of the kids do to you and that's when out of nowhere um he says you you, you know things happen and he's now mumbling and talking and she jumps out and she says, did you ever touch one of the kids did you ever have sex with one of the kids just was like, oh, you know, was, I might've touched them or you know, when they were little, I might've played with them. But me, you know, it was nothing older, nothing big, nothing extreme. Like he practically in- said to my mom, admit to her that yes, he did, might've, just a little bit, have sex. But we were so small, we didn't remember, we couldn't recall in my remember my mom being so floored that he would even admit it like I don't know if she was shocked that it happened or the shock that he is just audaciously saying yes I did and basically so they're arguing they're going back and forth and he's over here telling my mom oh now it changed oh your daughter's a little a whore she's a slut Every time she goes around the family, I know she's messing around with her little cousins and these little, he starts naming the little boy's name, my cousins. And that's when I, for the first time, spoke up. And I remember hitting the door to get their attention and said, no, you have been raping me. And I said it, I was so proud of myself in that moment. I Mm. looked him in the eyes and said, you have been having sex with me since I was six. And that is wrong. You have been having sex with your daughter. That is wrong. You're evil. And you know what you're doing. Don't lie to my mom anymore. Mm. And that's what alerted him. He's like, same scenario. When I was a little kid, he starts packing his bags, putting stuff in his suitcase. At this point, he was already headed to Haiti. So he already had a majority of his stuff packed. Right now, he's just packing the little boy's. Um, his son, who was living with us, he was packing his things. I don't know where he was going to bring him, and he was running to the car, putting all the suitcase. And something crazy, crazy, but not crazy, kind of expected, my mom starts to run after him and say, no, we got to talk about this as a family. We got to work about this. I'm going to call the pastor. You got to tell me why. You have to tell me why. You have to tell me why. She's run. He's running, filling the car, and she's like a sociopath running to the car, taking his things out of it. You know, one of his suitcases bust out and all his clothes is not now on the lawn. It was it was such a horrific experience is watching my mom run after a predator to ask him basically for redemption, ask him for to explain why he would do something like that, as if there was an answer that would have been so powerful to make her say, okay, let's work it
1: out as a family and let's just go back to normal yeah like, and I mean meanwhile she had just been calling her her brothers yeah. you need to come we have a family yeah. emergency and now she's chasing this predator and <laughs> just <Exactly>. like
0: <laughs> I don't think she wanted her brothers to come and do anything I think she wanted her brothers to come and remove me from the home because when she was on the phone I said do you want me she, she told me to pack a bag And I was like, do you want me to help you pack your bag and pack my siblings' bag? She said, you're the only one that's going. So she ran after him. And I, I knew if I didn't act in that moment, I was like, God, what do I do? What do I do? I'm devastated I'm looking at my mom running after a predator who I just told her raped me. And I'm seeing my mom in that moment, still choose him. And a part of me is like, what do I do? This man is about to leave us impoverished. Like the house is going to foreclosure. We're not going to have a home probably in another month or so. And something in me was like, just call the police, call the police, call the police. So I, that's exactly what I did. I, I, picked up the phone. I called and my mom, he was running in and out of the house, trying to collect all of his things. And my mom stopped midway and said, who are you on the phone with? And I'm like, mid conversation telling the operator already like, yes. my stepfather molested me since I was six years old. And I just told my mom and he's running away. He's fleeing the scene. And my mom had her arms on her head. Like, what did you do? And I said, I just called the police. And when he heard that, his voice screamed like he let out a, a just a the way he yelled like, "Oh my God!" Like in Creole I was just saying, "Oh my God! Oh my fucking God! What is you and your daughter are the death of me." That's all he kept on saying. You and your daughter are gonna ruin me. You're the death of me. You're lying on me. And he then takes he just takes the little boy and he um, he was driving this purple van. He gets in the van and then he just jets off and God knows into where. Um, luckily, by the time I got off the phone with the operator, two police cars had already pulled up. One of them pulled in, um, pulled in, and the other one went after him. Mm-hmm. I described to the T what the van looked like and the little boy that was with him, and they chased him off. He had the pol- he he had the police go on a chase for about 10 minutes because he went on on the major highway and it turns out he was headed to his sister's house. Mm -hmm. This is his oldest sister who has harbored his secrets for him who has made it very comfortable for him to rape even her own daughter and his other nieces and all of their cries and pleas all fell on deaf ears and this would all play out, we'll find it out, we will find out over the years of how much of a monster this predator was. So police catch up to him, been, he's then in prison. And my mom, oh, everything that happened after I called the police was in itself very traumatic. I it, I did not expect it. I didn't know what to expect, but I didn't expect that the community, the family who helped raise me, who were there in my life, that they can turn on me. Um, I was no, they no longer saw me as a child. They, they, I was labeled pretty much. I was the criminal. I was an adult and I was a criminal just as much as a criminal as he was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, why did this predator rape a child? It was, why did you wait so long to tell? Because you wait so long, it's your fault because you waited so long. Wow. Wait because you waited so long, you, you caused this you why did you call the police you caused you brought shame to the family so I was often reminded from 15 to 17 I can say for sure that I was severely depressed I was traumatized. I isolated myself because I had so many adults. If I went to the grocery store, like I told you, I went to, I had my first job. I had to end up leaving my first job because an elder Haitian man came to me in front of my colleague one night when we were closing the restaurant up. And he asked me, he was like, so which one of you or your sister, was it you or your sister that had a child by your father? And why did you, why did you guys decide, why didn't you guys say anything? and so mortified wow. and disgusted and i ran out of that restaurant and i just i called them and said listen i don't think i could work there anymore i didn't even want to say why because it wherever there was a predominant a presence of predominantly haitian haitians in the, you know whether it was at a restaurant whether it was at a um, church whether it was at work I never wanted to be there in fear that I would run into someone who recognized me or recognized the predator because in the Haitian community they put that onus on the child they put and predators know this they know yeah. they will they will blame you for what happened and, and I remember people calling me ignorant, saying that I was not the smart one out of my mom's kids. And oh my gosh, they came up with so many reasons as to why it would happen. Only reason, only, only possible reason, or not even a reason per se, the only thing discussion that should have been had was, why is an adult feel comfortable to have sex with a child that was the only conversation that should have been had but instead yes. my own family then t- changed it and 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 made it as if i was the vic- i was not the victim i was the criminal i yeah. um, i had one of my mom's cousins i remember i was having dinner at their house and they said to my two younger siblings who was about 12 and 10 years old at this time and they said hey have you asked your mom to go see your father in prison and they said no. And they said, "Well, yeah, you need to ask them. Ask your mom to go see your dad in prison because uh, they went and put an innocent man behind bars." Wow. Like, they keep. I'm keep,
1: I'm 16 years old at this time. I just cannot believe all of this. It's <laughs> my mind is exploding. You were scapegoated. You were villainized. You were. Uh demonized and you were the victim you were the one that was raped that is I walked
0: their household one of their my mom's aunt one of my mom's cousin's house and the way she greeted me always greeted me till they say oh look at this demon look at this demon child what is this demon doing in my home wow and I would have my cousins um, at the time who lived around me and one particular was a cousin where she would I started not to trust anyone because when I, one of one or two would come and ask, try to get information out of me and I would be vulnerable and open up thinking that I can confine in them and tell them what happened and what was going on just so they can take what I told them to go gossip amongst themselves. And it would find its way to me by another adult. And I'm like, wait a minute. I never shared that with you. And I would put two and two together and it's like, oh my gosh. So there's no one that I can trust at this moment that would protect me or Mm -hmm. even have some empathy and compassion, even if you didn't understand, even if you say you quote unquote didn't believe me, but to just see me as a human being, as one of your family member who has never done anything to any one of you, but yet you can just turn against me and make me make me the criminal when mm. I even unpack the, the, the level of severity of the abuse that I was enduring. Like I hadn't. I had suppressed it like my mother showed me and taught me to the point where I didn't realize that I was betraying myself. I mm-hmm. was betraying my voice. I felt that it was safer if I didn't say anything what was happening to me. Like I feel as if my mother used Christianity and her beliefs to train me to be like her, right? Mm-hmm. to, to be, train me to be submissive in this world, because in her mind, the background where we come from we can't amount to anything. And so we have to find our place in the world and just be submissive, just mm-hmm. not, not, not make any noise. If somebody does harm to you, go and pray about it. Anytime her husband would beat her or abuse her, that's what she did. She was just gonna pray about it. So she taught me how to do that. And it was very subtle and it was very dangerous because by the time I came out and say what I, you know, to tell my truth, I didn't know how to handle all of that was coming to me, all of that, that 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 tension and and the negativity. Um, I would go and try to confine in my mom and say, Hey, your cousin said this to me, your cousin called me a demon, or today, this is what your pastor told me, he chastised me.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: she would just look at me and say, What do you want me to do? <laughs> so I could not find even, even after that, I did not have a safe space where I could truly express my feelings, express, you know, lay my burdens down, lay my pain. My inner child was bleeding in a Mm -hmm. lot of pain and I I didn't have a mother. I didn't have a family. So I suppressed it well into my thirties up until to, you know, I say the last three, four years of doing um, therapy with a trauma informed coach is when I started to get my voice back because that's what I thought I lost. You know, that's what, I don't know if you've ever, you've felt that way being a survivor yourself is that inability, because in order for your predators to get you to do, to become malleable, to become submissive, they almost persuade you to believe that you have no power, that your voice is powerless and that what they're doing to you is, some form of love or or some form of this is the only attention that you're going to get. Yeah. This is the only attention that you're going to get. This is the only type of love that you're going to get. And that you're worthless. And yeah. That if you fight me off, I will I will not only fight you and win that nobody will believe you because you don't belong. You're not loved. And this is something he used to always ingrained in me. Yeah. And he he used to play these psychology games, psychological games where um he would, my mom would be in the kitchen cooking and he would grab me. I would be in a corner playing with my Barbie doll and he would grab me and just start fondling me, my breasts and my genital area. And if I fought him off, he would then slap me on my back. And when my mom would come in the kitchen and say, Hey, what just happened? He's like, your daughter is misbehaving. She's unruly and just make up a lie. like wow. on her head. And my mom believed it like this. She yeah. would then a belt and this happened she would take a belt and she beat me in front of him and then you know tell me oh you unruly child she's misbehaving you always disrespectful and then she'll go back to what she was doing in the kitchen and he would then pull me in his lap and have me sit down and at this time I'm completely submissive I'm terrified because yeah. I don't know what he's going to do I believe that he had power over me and over my mom and yeah. so I just there and while my mom's in the kitchen and he's now has me on his lap and now he's molesting me and now I'm not fighting him over so he had to continue to play these psychological uh uh, games to get me to believe that I was worthless that my voice meant nothing that nobody would believe me and so when you as a child that occurs more than more than enough times you start to believe it you start to create it is you start to identify yourself like oh maybe if my caregivers don't love me and they don't see me enough to protect me my you know for my voice to be heard when I get to the real world I now have to become somebody that is worth loving so I was my interactions then with people was never necessarily genuine because I felt like I had to put on this mask and this facade on in order to get a sense of community
1: or belonging.
0: But then you have that deep, utter pain. It's like, ooh, they're not really experiencing the real me because the real me just want to cry in somebody's arms right now because I'm yeah. so. Scared. Yeah. So he did a number—not just physically, violated me, but psychologically as well. Where I had to unpack all of these, these, these sayings that I had, these narratives, these identities. It's like, oh my gosh, this is not mine. This is not mine. This is what he told me to believe. Yeah. Exactly. You know, be small
1: yeah and you know what what he did you know by mol- molesting you and then you pulling away and trying to defend yourself and then him him turning around to your mom and making up this narrative so she would beat you for him to go back and you know put take you on his lap and then molest you once again. That's also him demonstrating, see, I have power over you. I have power over your mother. I have power in every area. So you you cannot win over me, you know? And that's what these bloody uh, predators, they do. They instill fear um, by demonstrating these, you know, weird, uh, uh, sick and twisted behaviors. Um, But it's all fake, you know, it's fake power you know it 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 yeah. it is power because we were children we were helpless and we were easily scapegoated you know so so there was definitely a a, a a massive um um imbalance in the power dynamic that's what i'm trying to say um but 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 i will also say something a therapist told me is um those like sick twisted games where they demonstrate their power and when there's where they say you're worth nothing you know my my foster dad told me that you're worth nothing no one is ever gonna love you for anything else than you have between your legs you're you're useless things like that um they say that to shut you down yeah so you don't believe that you are anything worth like you said before and so you'll never stand up for yourself you know they, they they do it to yeah it's you know in its essence it's manipulation to to shut your mouth you know yeah. i mean even even when you were 8 and you were at the hospital and when when the nurse asked you is anyone sexually abusing you the narrative that the 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 voice that was in the back of your head he's gonna kill me and my mom because that's what he told me so I'm not gonna say anything and he knew what he was doing when he threatened you
0: He knew it and it worked it yeah. worked, yeah it worked because there was nobody there I had no one telling me otherwise I had yeah. nobody telling me how to you know stand up for yourself and stand up for your truth and to love on me I had no I was neglected yeah like that, and he saw that he saw that my mom would do will would do anything for him yeah with him and sure yeah. she had you know he was he always used to say this oh without me you're nothing if I'm not in this house you can't survive without me see there it is again and survive without me he would tell my mom this, and she would just acquiesce to anything that's how he got her to do anything and everything yeah
1: even when he said you, you mentioned it a couple of times even when he said Oh well, good luck making it without me and blah 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 blah. You know, just reminding her, you're nothing without me. You're not gonna become anything without without you can you can do and you can't do anything without me. You need me. You're dependent.
0: Families, you're gonna be humiliated, and that's in my generation. That's like a big slap in the face. Is a single mom with a bunch of kids Hmm. because world looks down on you now though your society works looks down on you they feel bad for you and you you're more likely cannot get married uh and the church community is kind of look even if it's not the woman's fault it's like mm. you fell marriage you didn't do what you had to do so the judgment and harshness and criticism falls more on the woman even if mm. the man out and had a bunch of kids on her this is the d- dynamic within the Haitian household especially for that generation of family so I can see not to make excuses for my mom but I can see where her mind frame was where it's like yeah. she had to hide everything that yeah. he was doing for him and not bring it to question like hey this is weird why do you always you don't want to you don't ever want to babysit your kids but you're always at home with them yeah, and It's like such a strange, like she never, why are you, you know, she, of course there was so many things, but the one thing that stood out, um, what initially what I said, what brought me to tell the story to actually call the police was when I heard my mom's make mention that um, she saw him one time on top of his daughter. I never when so when the police came and the social worker came and asked me a bunch of questions and I'm talking to my mom Creole and I said mommy they're asking me why did I end up telling the police and it's like mommy did you know like I'm I'm telling her in Creole, did you did you know did you see him do anything and she says no I didn't never see anything I didn't do anything I didn't, I, I didn't see anything I didn't say that I didn't say that. she completely denied it hmm. so the social worker is looking at me social worker's looking at my mom's like what is happening right now and I I felt in that moment doing what they had trained me to do was to protect them. Mm. So I told the social worker that I just told um because I felt like it was time. Like I completely did not tell anything in the police report or to the social worker that my mother was the one who initiated this. I, for, I didn't even tell my mother family. This is the first time anybody who hears this interview will realize why at 15 out of nowhere, out of the blue, one random summer that I decide to tell publicly what has happened or what he was, that I was being raped, that mm. I was being, I had been raped and, and, and all of the deviancies and disgusting things that was going on in that house. Um, So my mom believed herself and believed her lie. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, once he got in prison, my mom's pastor um, came and picked her up and my mom put her Sunday best on and as well as my two younger siblings. And they started to visit him twice a month in prison. It was about the second time the first time I was devastated, I was shocked. I didn't know what to think. I knew I was angry mm-hmm. and rightfully so, but I just let it go thinking that I let it go. Right. And second time is when it really got to me. I'm like, okay, what are you doing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she had my siblings get dressed up, like they were going to church. And she said, we're going to go visit him in prison. I said, mommy, um, I pulled it to the side and I said, you forbid me to speak my biological father's name in your presence for whatever reason. You just told me he didn't want me. He didn't want anything to do with me. And I never fuss or fight to ask to see him. I told you that this predator raped me for years, raped his daughter, and yet you're taking my siblings to go see him in prison. Mm. You're visiting him. Why? Yeah. And she looks at me, she says, well, you know, God can change people. I believe he's going to come out of jail and become an evangelist and do God's work.
1: Oh, my flooding God. flooding down
0: my eyes. And I realize that there's nothing I can do and say that my mother would have ever protected me. That in her mind, she believed. She believed. Whatever she believed, she believed it within that. This man who never loved her, never showed any ounce of love towards her, if she wasn't doing something for him, like cooking and cleaning or and, and and just falling behind him, being his yes man, he didn't want anything to do with her. So she then could I I fall into tears. I remember just falling on the sofa and just crying and then just. She just went on by her business. She packed her purse, and then while she was at the door, um, okay, I'm, I'm, um, if you need me, just call the pastor. I'll I'll see you, okay? I'll see you later, and just leaves me, leaves me sitting down on that sofa crying, crying my heart out. Like I cried so hard to the point where I got a headache, and just Hmm. like passed out because I, I felt i didn't know what was worse the sexual abuse or everything that happened after yeah after because it to not to it's one thing to say i don't believe you it's another to say i believe you but i'm going to choose to side with this predator anyways yeah it me so worthless
1: yeah as a human. of course it did of course so, it did
0: so that went on and what made my mother actually change her her perspective or change her demeanor to quote unquote be on my side all of a sudden was after I think it was month two while he was in prison um the DNA test came back because the little boy that he his son Mm -hmm. who conceived through raping his daughter DNA came back that was indeed his son and it hit the public masses you would think that people's narrative would change. It's like, okay, if he could rape his own daughter and impregnate her, then we believe that, yeah, he definitely raped that little girl. Mm -hmm. People still stand where they stand, their positions. Yes. Nothing really, it just, anything, it got worse for my mom and I felt bad for her. What? Now people are saying, oh, you knew this was going on and you allowed this man to do this Ain't because He raped the girl, beat her, and then moved the little boy back with him. And you knew this, what was going on. And my mom, she felt as if she was being crucified. So it all of a sudden, she wanted, it went from, oh, he may be an evangelist and he's going to come back home and become a great husband to, she changed with the crowd to say, no, he's a monster. He's a predator. He violate my daughter. He not violate, he damaged my daughter that was how she referred it and everybody. And that messed with me mentally as well to say, yeah. Yeah. I don't, for in Haitian language, there's a word for rape. So they didn't want to say have sex because it wasn't, it was not polite. So their word that they used instead was damaged. Oh, he damaged her or she's a damaged child. And so I walked around thinking and feeling like, oh, People see me as something damaged. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Not now I'm not worthy to be protected. I'm not worthy to be loved. Now I'm damaged. Yeah. So that and then as a teenager, that really shaped how I viewed myself. And then I started to gain massive amount of weight. I started to fall into deep, severe depression. I isolated all mm-hmm. myself. I don't know how in God's green earth did I I was able to muster up the courage to finish high school successfully. Like that was my only, that was the only thing in my mind I kept going. It's like, I need to get out of here. The only way I can get out of here is if I go to college and I could get far, far away from these people and act, just leave this whole whole debacle behind me and never have it to relive it again. Thinking that I would never have to see the daylight of it. and then, so yeah, those two years that 15 through 17, it was tumultuous. And now looking back at it, sitting in therapy, my siblings, I, I'm sure if my mom neglected me, she neglected them as well because we weren't allowed to talk about it. My mom's way of dealing with it is to just quote unquote, give it to God, pray to God, but don't, uh, um, you know, my siblings would come and say, hey, uh, you know, this cousin said this to me, this person said this. She did not know how to sit down to tell my siblings, this is what the consequences of what your father has done. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know how to console us, how to be there for us. Instead, it turned into us as children, consoling our mother. Mm -hmm. It it created an enmeshment relationship, a trauma bond Mm -hmm. where we were all fearful with each other. There was no one to say that, hey, this is not healthy, that- Mm -hmm there's so many lines that were crossed yeah no were, boundaries not, no boundaries yeah and my mom's whole thing was uh, uh you know we need to stay close together because the enemy the devil people outside are trying to come and separate us and destroy us so it made me like all of a sudden like oh I have something to fight for I have something to see every day and it's like wait this is not this is not healthy
1: hmm. this is a
0: you know, there was always this outside enemy. And it was like, no, I, it was until my adulthood, I confronted my mom in my thirties. And I was like, I never knew a devil, but you and your husband, you two were the only devils that I knew. And I just wanted I made that abundantly clear for her. And I said, I never experienced evilness at the hand of anyone outside of that home. Mm. It was only you and your husband. And she looked at me devastated that I even said that. She was like, you see me as something evil? And I was like, you were, <laughs> or mm. sure, you had evil about ways you're not an evil person your husband was and I was like do you understand how you made it so easy for him yeah. to use us and you overlooked I was like you weren't the child you were not the child in this situation the only victims were the children in that household while you might have been a victim yourself mm. you could find a way out but you chose not to we had no choice yeah you had a choice as an adult. You were a victim, yes, but you had a choice and you stood by yours. Yeah. I did not have a choice. I was, the choices that I thought I had, it was beaten out of me. Yeah, it exactly. was out of me, it was you yourself beating out, beating it out of me and then making me feel guilty and ashamed by using religion to suppress me. Yeah. And so- that happened and I would say the whole thing with the system really was a huge I get it why children and women do not and men do not come out and tell the system especially black and brown children while I don't regret for calling the police and involving social workers because I think I believe wholeheartedly I stand on that that I did the right thing and I'm proud of myself for even calling the police and putting him in jail for even if it was two years i was Mm. proud of that but i was devastated that the jury or the system was created in a way to protect the predator and not me because i felt throughout the whole entire process i felt like i was the criminal and Mm. i had to my case that i wasn't that's what it felt like
1: yeah it
0: didn't I I told my attorney, I said, listen, I I showed her my scar that I have till this day, this is where I had the surgery. And this is what the doctors told me. Her office was five minutes away from the hospital where I had the surgery, where I had my ovary removed. All she had to do was just pick up the call and ask to see my medical records and speak in the doctor she did none of that I told her she knew of course the DNA. she's the one who had the uh, DNA done that the little boy was indeed his son we had evidence around and he never denied the fact that he raped his oldest daughter because it was a child that was produced he just kept on denying that he raped me because he knew there was no evidence so he thought so even with all of that I went into the court system that day or the week of when we were going to trial. um, My attorney told me, listen, we can't find your sister, your stepsister. We don't know where she's at. We can't get a hold of her. So therefore, she's not going to be in the trial. It's just going to be you and your mom that's going to speak against him. And I'm like, what? What? And you're, and by the way, you're not allowed to mention your stepsister's name. You're not allowed to say that you watch him, you watch him abuse her. And that's how he groomed her. You're not allowed to mention the little boy that lived with you all. That was his child. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to mention, you're only to tell your story. And by the way, he's going to be in a courtroom. <laughs> I asked twice, I begged and pleaded with her twice. I said, listen, I can't see him. I, if I see him, I, I, I feel like I will I feel like I never dealt with the trauma and the pain. And I, f- I feel like I'll revert back to being that little girl that is fearful, especially if you haven't dealt with it and I haven't put language to it. And that no one had witnessed me to say, Hey, what, how did this happen? And what happened? Tell yeah. me. Your- so someone, can- I never heard anyone say this was wrong. He was not supposed to do this. Mm. this I believe you, you mm. are loved. I wish I have heard that before going to the trial
1: you and you you were still a kid so you were a kid going to trial with the predator in the same room looking at you not me while you had to tell a bunch of strangers who doesn't even sound like your bloody lawyer was on your side but to be honest sound like my lawyer was on my side (laughs) at all Defense
0: attorney. I wouldn't even call her in a lawyer. This was a def- the public defense uh, defender. Okay. Um wow. His family was sitting in the pew behind him, and where would have been my family was empty, except there was two social workers in the back. And I knew there were social workers because the lanyards they had around their neck that has the city of Fort Lauderdale.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I had no support. And my mom was outside because she was going to attest right after me. Mm-hmm. Um I had to keep us separate. So I had no support, but yet he had a full support behind him. These same people who was threatening me, me and my mom calling us saying what we're going to do with their their brother or, or that are we sure we want to, if he gets in jail, that they will make sure that either my life or one of her children will pay the consequence if he does get into jail. Like having to take that all in having my, hearing my family members call me disparaging names and mock at my pain and laugh at it and minimize it. And then now I have my mom who partially, she believes me, but she still wants this man. Having all of this now go on and I'm in a courtroom with a bunch of strangers asking me prying questions that my lawyer did not prepare me for. And it was invasive, it was intrusive. It was, oh, it was a mock-up or drawing of a body. Where did he touch you? Where, show us how, how often? Oh, he sucked your breasts or or he touched your genital or you saw his penis. It was things that I had never spoken out loud. And yet they expected me to just walk in there confidently and just answer those questions and be so explicit without ever no one giving me the language. No one thought, can we should we should she go to therapy I had to ask my lawyer can she recommended me to a therapist because I felt like I was going crazy yet
1: yeah. understandable
0: so fucking much I felt like I was going crazy
1: understandable I, I what I can't believe uh, that, I mean there's so much of your story that just blows my mind but I cannot believe that no one protected you i cannot believe that you weren't offered any form of counseling before even going into this trial i cannot fathom that you did not have some conversations with a professional where you could talk about all of this and just process it a little bit and even talk to this therapist about okay you're going into this trial what are your thoughts what are your feelings and like getting help to prepare you as best as they could and it is shocking you are a child and there was no one on your side in the room while you had to testify I, I, I can't even it breaks my heart. it breaks my heart for that young woman you was, and you are all alone. You were all alone in that moment. your fucking lawyer was not even on your side. Sorry, but that person was not in the room for you. It does not sound like that one bit. You were not allowed to mention anything that could that could strengthen your case. What? kind of a defender is that that is not someone on your side i am infuriated <laughs> on my behalf you know my part of the story on your behalf on everyone's behalf who is not protected by this system and i am disgusted that these predators they are protected over and over again it's unbelievable It's mortifying and I would hope that the system, after all,
0: because this happened about 18 years ago, I would hope that it has changed. Um, Three years ago, I spoke with my stepsister randomly. I decided to just call her. I I found her number on Google and I called her not knowing what to expect. my therapist actually recommended that I try to reach out to her or my, uh, the little boy who was living with us at the time, her son. And I did, I was able to find him on Facebook. And when I called my stepsister and I told her, um, the the first thing that she did when we got on the call and she was like, Hey, um, how's your mom? Is she still alive? And I said, yes, she still is. Tell your mom, I forgive her. Please tell her I forgive her for everything that she did. And I said, actually, that's why I wanted to call you. Um, I, I told her, I never told anybody this, but the reason why I told, I came out and told that I was being raped was because my mom made that, my mom said that during one of their last heated arguments that she walked in on him doing something to you. And I said, can you tell me? Cause she was like, I was under the guise that my mom didn't know what was happening. And I even believed it. I didn't want to believe that my mother could have an inkling, inkling of of what was happening and Mm -hmm. that she chose not to protect us. And she took a deep breath and she said, It was one night, many nights he would rape me multiple times a day, but it was one night. um, He turns on the TV. after like 1 a.m. here in the U.S. back then, back in the 90s, nothing would play on TV. So it was just a bunch of static sounds. So he kind of put that up and he then calls my sister, like taps on the door. Like he had this thing that he did where he taps on the door and my sister knew what that meant. And she and I shared a bed and she got up from the bed. I, that I do remember. And she went to the living room and he was having sex with her. And my mom, I guess because my mom had two younger you know my siblings at the time were toddlers under two years old, so she didn't sleep through the night all the way. so my mom woke up one night and she walked in in the living room, and by the time she turned on by the time she went to the hallway and turned on the light the light switch, he already jumped off, he covered his penis and runs to the kitchen and my stepsister. She said that my gown, my gown, I was laying there just shocked because I, I was embarrassed. She said, I was humiliated. I didn't know what was happening. She said, I just heard him pull my gown down. But your mom saw my nude body and your mom saw him with an erect penis running to the other room sh- ashamed. And I, I'm completely floored. I'm completely disgusted hearing her say that on the phone. And I said, but what did my mother do afterwards?
1: Mm.
0: She says, your mom then walks up to me and says, because at this time my I said she got up. She was about 13, 14 when this happened. She said, I got up terrified. I didn't know what she, I didn't know what her reaction was going to be. So I was trying to walk past, run past her to go to the bedroom where you guys were at. And my mom stopped her and said, what was your father just doing to you? And she looked my mother in the eyes and said, He was having sex with me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she said, I your mother let me go. It looked like she said, your mother was in so much shock that she just like kind of fell against the wall, like the ball the wall kind of like carried, like carried her because she fell back. Mm-hmm. And she said that she then runs into the bedroom and she closed the door and she and I do remember that she runs under the sheet and she tells me, like she's like telling me to get under the bed, get get in my bed, get in the bed. Um, I'm terrified. I don't know what was happening. That's what I remember that incident is when she was like yelling at me, telling me, get in the bed, get in the bed. Mm-hmm. And all I remember is my mom in the kitchen, them arguing the next morning. My mom is cooking breakfast. My mom is preparing his lunch. And my mom is not talking, making any eye contact with anyone. And life goes on. My mom did nothing. what my mom was referring to when I was 15 I should have left you the night I saw you on top of your daughter yeah my stepsister three years ago confirmed to me she says yes your mom saw it she's like there's multiple signs she's like don't blame I can't believe she was even saying this she was like don't put all of the blame on your mom because mm. he's she's he's a masterful at manipulating people she's she's the one who conf- who told me that Listen, he has raped his daughters. He has multiple daughters. He has other daughters in Haiti who he has molested. He's been married three times, raped the children. I heard all of this and I was like, my God, this system is so fucked up. Like for little black girls, how many little black girls are actually doing the due diligence to come out and courageously say, this is what's been happening to me, but yet we're shut down by the society and and by the law enforcement where they're not protecting us. It's so much so to protect the predators. Because had I been able to just say, Yes, I he groomed me by making me watch him rape his daughter. Had the court brought in and say, yes, he does have a son, and he, the son is in child protective systems, and yeah. we did DNA tests, and that is indeed his child. He's even confessed to yeah. saying none of that was used. None of that was used. So jury for the longest time I hated, I had such harbor resentment and anger and disdain towards the jury, but then I realized they weren't even, they were given the full facts. They weren't Mm. given information for about a year after the trial ended, the judge was trying to get in contact with me because he believed me. He had all of the facts. He was, I I felt like there was no reason for me to get in contact with the lawyer, with the judge or anyone for that matter, because you all failed me. So what exactly did I, Oh, what conversation were we going to have? Were we going to have that? You believed me that you, you knew I wasn't, telling the lie or what exactly, how did they want that to play out? I wasn't entirely sure. Mm. It left me feeling defenseless. It left left me feeling defeated. It left me feeling small and that I didn't matter in this world, that here I come innocent into this world and having a father who didn't want me and then a predator who saw that I was only valuable to be violated Mm. mentally spiritually sexually this man violated me always that's all he saw and I had him hear a mother who was so submissive who didn't know her own worth and who didn't believe like same of the same traits that I had the self the negative self-belief and the low self-esteem and low self-worth that that's what she passed on to me her trauma Mm. and you put a ribbon on it and call it you know Christianity is like you know it's it, it's it been an uphill battle. It has been a long journey. It has been a long road. But I, as difficult it is to share my story, I have to acknowledge that a couple of years ago, I couldn't, I promise you, I would have been crumbling down on the ground, crying in tears. I would not have been able to tell my story. So I'm proud of myself. And it's something I've never said at all. Um, I'm proud of myself that I even look inward to pull strength to be able to push forward and to tell my story to rewrite the the narrative and to own my truth to own who i am and to continue to unpack and to i don't know how my telling my story is going to change or if it's even going to create some type of impact but i just want to a little girl right now who's probably a teenager who's probably going to listen to this podcast, someone who has been, whose story is very similar to mine's or they resonate with what I'm saying. I just want them to look at you and I, Jazlyn, to say that, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, we can survive past the story that we had survived, that we can redirect, we can rewrite it we can one day if we choose so bravely say this is, this happened to me, but it is not my identity. Hmm. That um, my power, they lied to me and told me I didn't have power, but I found my power. Hmm. That's one thing I have to say to the predator if him and her family ever heard because he was right. My family wouldn't want me and my mom wouldn't believe me. He wouldn't be by my side, but what he did not notice, what he did not realize is that I would find my voice. I would have my power. I have my truth. I have my own love. I have the love of God. He thought that all that he did to me, I would feel the same way he probably felt in this world, which was invisible, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: now you have to hurt and harm others in order to feel something so he thought that was going to be my life he thought I was just going to fall on stray and and not amount to anything and be anything so using my voice is a way to negate every single day I I get the power and the truth excuse me I get the power to to stand up for myself is a way to negate his lies to hmm. negate he thought he did years ago. He thought he greeted someone that he that was malleable, someone that was broken, someone that was damaged, that he can just infiltrate and think that he can just completely discard and throw away. By the grace of God, I am here. I'm standing, and I own my truth. And I pray that every time I stand in that truth and I express it, and I'm intentional that I'm helping someone as I'm going through my healing journey, mm-hmm. and to expose a system that's supposed to do what it's supposed to do but is so fucked up yeah. to expose the system like the, that my algorithm is not flooded with other survivors of who who has been abused through being in child protective services or other brown and black people who have come to authorities and say this is what's happening to me but yet it falls on deaf ear and it's like who who is the system protecting really yeah the children no it's not us and i feel as if the more they want us it's almost like they want us to set up and to just self-destruct like go somewhere and just be you know uh, uh staying silent die or be drug ridden and the community will kind of cast look you know if somebody feel bad on for you and it's like oh poor you but really it's no it's no genuine way a system where it's like okay how can we care for these human beings hmm. they have endured trauma how can we set them up so that they have the therapy they have the resources they have the language they have the community to help and support them to be a, a, a part of society to be s- society members that will help that that would to truly live their life in a way that you know i'm sorry <laughs> Ooh. Hmm. that is that that i still grapple with like how could people be so evil yeah people just
1: yeah uh it's the same for me you know the wickedness uh the cruelty i i i can't fathom that it's i it don't even have a word I don't have a word for it. It breaks my heart. Yeah, mine too.
0: But I I do know that doing this type of work and I'm not entirely sure all that, what God has wanted me to do. I just know that I was ready to share my story. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how much impact or if it will even make impact. I just know that it's just time to stand in my light and my
1: truth. Yeah. Mm. beautiful. thank you for showing up here yeah. on this podcast and doing it i'm I'm so incredibly proud of you. and I, as I said before i I feel so honored and you are just so gorgeous and you are so incredible and your strength is just wow I just see that you're a light and that I believe that you're here to make a difference and that you're already doing it you may be on your healing journey and still trying to figure things out and you may all seem like things are a mess and you don't really know what you're doing in life you know I'm the same place babe I don't know what the fuck I'm doing but I'm I'm showing up (laughs) <laughs> and that's oh
0: that's that's a victory in itself little you know that's a victory in itself don't even downplay that because that is extremely powerful in places as a child we didn't have anyone to show up for ourselves show up for us so mm-hmm. showing up for ourselves is it is honor. It is self-respect and it is love. So I wouldn't even minimize that. Cause that is some people, they are crippled and not to judge them or anything like that, but the people who have endured the traumatic experiences that we have in any level, they shut down because they don't even think they're worthy enough to show up in their own life because nobody showed up for them. Exactly. Nobody up for them to save them. So it's like, who, I can do it for myself I have the power to do so yeah. so to reach and pull from yourself and to say I'm going to create a platform to show up for myself and to allow others to show up for themselves that extre- that is extremely powerful hmm. that, that is victory in itself so oh. again thank you because this allowed me to do this I know I'm ready I just didn't know what platform to do it on and it's like how do I do it on my social media and for the longest time shame had I was ridden with shame. My identity was like shame.
1: Whoa. I would say
0: two two years is when I started to do the work and clean up all of the shame and said, "No, this is not my identity. This is not who I am." Yeah. Like I had choice. Yeah, right. It's like no, this this is a small. I'm giving it this label like this is something really small yet impactful that happened to me. And I won't minimize it in that sense, but I'm not going to say to the fullness of who I am, that this is all that I am. That's all I have to offer for the longest time. I didn't intimacy, intimacy terrified me because yeah. I feared people once they, you know, they draw to me and then they're like, yes, I want to be a friend or I want to be close to you. I feared that once they find out what happened to me, it would change their perspective of me. Hmm. and I became shameful in that regard where it's like, oh no, this is such an ugly part of me that I don't want to share with anyone. And it was like, no, I am going to step in my truth, as I said, um, because I can't relive it, thank God. I can't relive the horror and nor will I allow the past to come and bleed into my life and rob me of now of my joy that I found. Mm-hmm rob me of the love rob me of everything that i've cultivated for myself that i was denied as a child and it wasn't denied i wasn't denied as a child now i'm realizing because i was not worthy is because there are people these caregivers didn't have the capacity Mm -hmm. they didn't didn't know how to give it they didn't have it themselves to give themselves let alone to give me i'm in a better and healthier loving space where again like i told you before healing is non-linear I, um, because right now, yes, three years ago, me, the old me, would not have been able to do this. Mm-hmm. So this is victory in a sense where it's like, yes, my healing, the work, the daily routine, showing up, praying, going to therapy, all of that's continuing to work. but I kid you not, tomorrow, something else is like, oh, something else is going to show up and it's going to like rub on that wound to remind me, and then now I have to like pull my tools and resources at least. I know I have it there, whereas yeah. before anything. So I said all that to say thank you for giving me a platform and a space to be able to
1: voice my story. That was it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to raise our chemical voices and share this episode on your social media. If you would like to guest on the podcast or share your story anonymously, please find the link in the episode description until next time.